Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much. Just thinking for a moment about how big this universe is and that you created every planet and every star system and every galaxy. And um, Lord, we pray that you would just remind us that you built everything perfectly and even our souls you created and that you have the power now to regenerate, to recreate, to do new things within the body of this church and this community and this world. And so we, we lean into that power, Lord, and we praise you and we thank you so much. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Please have a seat. Oh my. I like, the, I like the band like this. This is good. You guys just, I feel like they just recorded a viral album. Like that thing is just, people are going to want copies of that. Um, and uh, the, it's, it's awesome. by the way, the banjo, um, I did borrow your banjo the other day. It was in your office, Ben. And I learned to play a song. I don't know if I can do it. It's a song from one of my favorite movies ever. Let's see. Let's see how it goes. You know where I'm going with this a little bit? Let's see. I think I can do it. Let's see. Um, Don't watch that movie, whatever you do. It's a movie called Deliverance, and it's pretty dark. But there, there's a tie. Yeah, I can, and I, I, I don't know. I, I wish the band, we could learn that one. Or the other one that I love that could be played on the banjo, you know the song, Why Are There So Many? The Willie Nelson song, right? Songs about rainbows. I know you think it's Kermit the Frog, but actually Willie Nelson wrote that song. That's a Mid-State Fair fact for you folks. And I think Willie Nelson needs to come and sing at the fair one day, don't you think? That, we just do a vote? Let's start it now. Let, let's see. Let's see if we can, a uh, little social pressure on the Mid-State Fair, see if we can get Willie here. Um, but it is relevant because uh, the passage we're about to look at today is one of the darkest, most demented passages in all of the Bible. Uh, if Quentin Tarantino was looking for a messed up plot for a movie, he would look at this and say, no, that's too messed up. I can't film this. You know, the Coen brothers would be like, don't touch that. Stephen King would think, I can't write stuff that dark. That's how dark the passages that we're looking at today. And that's why I played a little Deliverance theme song for you. Um, and the big question I want to ask you today is, who do you trust in your life? Because it's really important. It really matters who you trust in life. You don't believe me? Actually, uh, the, uh, the money that we have isn't really worth anything. I mean, you're like, I'll take it. But, but it's just paper, really. I mean, it's representative of something else. And the minute that society or the community loses trust in the government or the economic system, it just becomes nothing. Countries have experienced this all over the world. Suddenly, their currency plummets because people don't believe in it anymore, and so they start bartering chickens and squirrels and stuff. I don't know why they barter squirrels, but that was... Um, <clears throat> I would. <clears throat> anyway, so, so the point is, economies can be destroyed if there's no trust. Marriages can be destroyed if trust goes away. Relationships with friends and neighbors. How many people have a little... Uh, have a little uh, a tough time trusting a neighbor entirely. I don't know. Don't raise your, don't raise your hand. Your neighbors are in here. Come on, people. Seriously. It's a small town. Um, how many people have trust related? You might have a trust, uh, trust issue with a coworker. The, do you know that they say that productivity will increase threefold in a workplace if coworkers have trust versus the opposite of not trusting one another? Isn't that incredible? 
And relationships thrive when there's trust at the center. Churches thrive when there's just trust in one another. But when there's not trust and when, when you place your trust in the wrong places, it's a bad thing in life. Things fall apart. People get hurt. People get wounded when trust is misplaced. And the today, the scripture that we're looking at is a story of Moses and Pharaoh again. And it's the story of what I'd say is like the 11 miracles or the, or the nine or 10 plagues that, that affected Egypt. And what you need to know about Moses is Moses is 80 years old. He's just come from 40 years in the wilderness raising sheep and as a shepherd. And he was out there and he, heard, he encountered God at a, a bush that was on fire that told him, go back and rescue all of Israel. So out of faithful obedience, Moses goes back to this place where he had killed somebody before and he was a wanted man. But he goes back and he preaches to the whole of Israel with his brother Aaron, who's 83. The Bible tells us he's 80 and his brother Aaron is 83 years old. And they tell the whole nation of Israel, they say, you know what, you guys, we're going to go to Pharaoh together and we are going to go and ask for a three-day all-expenses-paid trip to go and worship God in the wilderness. And so they all believe him and they follow his leadership. They go out to Pharaoh and Pharaoh responds and says, not a chance. In fact, I'm going to make your life 10 times miserable because I know what you're really doing. You are trying to escape from Egypt with all of your families and all of your belongings. And so that's when he actually makes their life so miserable in like putting laws and regulations on the people. Their job was basically carpentry, plumbing, um, any kind of like craftsmanship, anything that could be actually useful to an economy. That's what the Israelites did. And so he, he actually made their life harder. One of the big jobs they did was making bricks and he took away the main ingredient of bricks so they couldn't even make bricks very well. And so they were, they were being traumatized and ruined and they were at the lowest point they had been yet. After Moses had told them that things were going to get better with God. And this is what the scripture says. It's, it's in the middle of one of these miracles that God does in the book of Exodus. It says these words. Then the Lord said to Moses, this is at the low point for this community. He says to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go. Let whose people go? God's people, right? Not Pharaoh's people. That's a, that is a surprising statement right there. So that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will plague your whole country with frogs. That's like a weird kind of super superhero, right? Like, like I will plague you with frogs. Like, can, I don't know if Marvel's going to come out with this one. I doubt it. It's not, not, okay, whatever. All right, so I'll plague your whole country with frogs. The river shall swarm with frogs. Okay, that's crazy thought. Do you imagine like ro rolling like so many frogs in the river that it's just like, ooh, right? Swarm with frogs. They shall come up into your palace, into your bedchamber and your bed. You know that day when you were like, honey, is that your foot in the bed? No, is that your foot? No, that's frogs in our bed. Into your bed and into the houses of your officials and your people and into your ovens and into your kneading bowls. I'm telling you, this sounds funny, but it's not funny. It's, it's messed up. This is a really, really, like if you woke up in the middle of the night and called me, which I hope you don't do, just wait till the morning, please, and called me and said, hey, I had a dream, a nightmare, and this is what I had, I would say, I am sorry. That is, that is one of the scariest nightmares I've ever heard, but it really happened to these people. And then it says these words, and the Lord said to Moses, stretch 
Stretch out, your, uh, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, the canals, and the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. And so Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the Pharaoh's magicians did the same by their secret arts and brought frogs up on the land of Egypt. Now, what you need to know about Pharaoh is that ever since Pharaoh was a little boy, people in his life have been telling him that he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. They've also been telling him that he is a divine being, that Pharaoh is the closest thing on earth to God. It kind of sounds like some people in high school, right? No. So (laughs) this guy is full of it. His teachers have said that he is so incredible that nothing can touch him because there are all these gods in his world. Now, there were a lot of cool gods that Pharaoh had in his life. He didn't just have one god, Yahweh. He had many. He had the god of, well... What do you think the first one was? Right there in the center of his forehead. Right. Just like a Christian would wear a cross around their neck. Pharaoh wore the, to say they're, they're a follower of Jesus, Pharaoh had this serpent on his forehead to say that, well, not that he was a follower of this serpent God, but the serpent God would do what he asked him to do. And then there was the God of the Nile, the goddess of the Nile. There was the God of all of these different areas of the empire. There was the God of Lord of the Flies. There were gnats. There was the God of locusts. It does end up sounding a little bit like a Marvel comic book, doesn't it, when you put it all together? And there were all these gods that Pharaoh looked to, and all of his teachers, all of his um, mentors, all the people in his life were raising him and saying, you're divine. These are real gods. You should worship these gods, and you should have trust and faith in these gods. You know, it matters where you put your trust. If you put your trust in nothing, in emptiness, then things will fall apart. But if you put your trust in truth and in, in reality, There will be health, not just in your relationships, but in your whole entire life. And so this is what the scripture goes on to say. It says, then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, remember the magicians made the frogs come up just like Moses and Aaron had, right? Now he says, calls Moses and Aaron and says, pray to the Lord to take away the frogs from me and my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Notice that Pharaoh's magicians can make more frogs, but they can't get rid of them. Pharaoh is at his wit's end, and he says, okay, maybe I do need Moses' help in order to get rid of these frogs. Then Moses said to Pharaoh, kindly tell me when I am to pray for you and for your officials and for your people, that the frogs may be removed from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And the Pharaoh said, tomorrow which I think is weird because I would say today. (laughs) I wouldn't wait a day. Moses said, as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall leave you and your houses and your officials and your people, and they shall be left only in the Nile. Then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs that he had brought upon Pharaoh. And the Lord did as Moses requested. The frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards, and in the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. Can you imagine? This is terrifying. But Pharaoh, when he saw that there was a respite, when things got better, his heart hardened and would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. Wait, he just said he was going to let them go. They trusted Pharaoh, and then they went out and they prayed to God, but God had already told Moses that Pharaoh was was a dirtbag, that he was not going to be faithful to his word. 
You know, um, it, it's, it's incredible the imagery of these terrible frogs everywhere all over this land. And you have to remember that it's in the middle of an 11-month series of plagues and afflictions that have, that have started. With first, there was the first miracle, and it was the staff that was turned into a snake. Moses, by God's order, went and threw a staff on the ground and turned into a snake, and the Pharaoh's magicians threw their staffs on the ground, and they turned into mistakes, into mistakes, and turned into snakes too. But what I like is that Moses' snake then ate all of the snakes of the Pharaoh's magicians. As if God is saying, hey, you know what? Worshiping that snake God, not such a good idea. Well, then Moses uh, waved his, uh, in obedience to God, waved his staff over the Nile, and all the Nile turned into blood. All the buckets of water everywhere turned into blood. And the Pharaoh's magicians were able to replicate or mimic that miracle. But then only Moses's, and Moses and Aaron were able to appeal to God to turn it off, to stop it. And there's the goddess of the Nile decimated by God. Don't put your trust in the goddess of the Nile anymore. Then there was the god of the amphibians. There was the god of gnats, the lord of the flies. There was the livestock. There was a bull that Pharaoh worshipped so that all of his livestock at the 4-H club and all, or whatever, the Mid-State Fair would be really beautiful. No, that was shattered too. There was also the, boy, the god of medicine, the god of, of weather, the god of insects. And then finally, the biggest god that Pharaoh worshipped was the god of the sun. Have you heard of that? Ra, right? Have you heard that? The sun god. You're not into science fiction at all? Like the Egypt, Egyptian like, um, like alien stuff? Those are amazing. Okay, anyway. But they worshiped the god of sun, and suddenly at the end, God turned the whole entire land dark right, on, right when Moses prayed to God to demonstrate that all those other gods are not to be trusted, that there's nothing there, and that you need to put your trust and your faith in Yahweh. Yahweh Moses had just said Yahweh to Pharaoh. He'd never heard of Yahweh before. Yahweh was, the God, if God, Yahweh was the God of Israel. Why was Israel slaves? To Pharaoh, Yahweh did not look like a powerful God to put trust or faith in. But that's the amazing thing that Jesus did, is, or so that God did, is that God turned, God turned evil on its head. And the last of these really confusing miracles is the death of the firstborn. See, Moses meets with God and God says, finally, this is what has to happen. You have to go out and get all of your people to get the firstborn lamb, slaughter the lamb, take the lamb's blood and wipe it all over the doorposts of their houses in order to avoid a disease that will kill the firstborn, only the firstborn of every house. Now, do you think at some point the people of Israel were putting lamb's blood on their doorposts of their house and thinking, is this a little wacky? Does this seem a little crazy? Like Moses over there just tells us to go kill the lamb and put the lamb's blood on our houses. But you know what had happened is they had gained trust in Moses over time. One day after another, they had started to believe that Moses was trustworthy because Moses was putting his trust in a good place. See, if you want to be trustworthy, if you want people to trust you, then you got to start putting your trust in the right place. If you put your trust in God, if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, then you are going to start to become one of those trustworthy people because you are going to then start to be the mouthpiece of God to people in their lives around you. Speaking wisdom, speaking love, speaking truth in love to the people in your life. See how important it is who you trust in your life? 
And this is what the scripture says after they'd covered their doorposts in blood. It is the darkest scene, one of the darkest scenes of the entire Bible. And it says these words, at midnight, Yahweh struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat in his throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh arose in the night, he and all his officials and all the Egyptians, and there was a loud cry in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. Can you imagine down the street at midnight, someone wakes up and realizes what happened and you hear the shrieks, the screaming. They didn't have double-paned windows back then, so you could hear everything. And then another person woke up next door, and there was another person and another person before, and then the whole entire countryside. Now, they assume there were probably two and a half million people from Israel, and that there were probably 11 million people in Egypt, so do the math, like seven and a half million people experiencing the death of the firstborn in their house or the livestock. Terrible, terrible scene. And it says these words, then... Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron in the night and said, rise up and go away from my people, both you and the Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you said. Take your flocks and your herds as you said and be gone and bring a blessing on me too. The Egyptians urged the people to hasten their departure from the land for they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened with their kneading bowls, the ones that had frogs in them at one point, wrapped up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The Israelites had done as Moses told them. They had asked the Egyptians for jewelry of silver and gold and for clothing, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked for. And so they plundered the Egyptians. What you need to see is that God is untwisting the maze of lies that Pharaoh had built his life and his power upon. One by one, God is shattering those things that Pharaoh had put his trust in or had to have other people put their trust in that were complete lies. And there's something beautiful in our life when God starts to destroy the gods, the small g gods that we put our, our faith and trust in, the, the people who come into our lives, the semi-messianic figures who say, I'm going to save everything and make everything better. And you see that person crumble. That should be a moment when you should say, thank you, God, for reminding me that I need to put my trust and faith in you and not in a human being or not in a system or not in some little... See, God is asking us to become those people who shift away from trusting in the, in the manufactured Marvel superhero comic book gods that we have surrounded ourselves with and turn toward the real God of the universe, which is Yahweh. And if you think about the way that God turned evil on its head, that's the most amazing thing that God did. Because... Don't you remember that when Moses was just a little baby, they tried to kill all the firstborn of, e of Israel in order to destroy that whole nation? And they made a rule that all the firstborn babies of Israel, all the boy babies, would be thrown into the Nile River and killed the minute they were born. And God worked in the hearts of those amazing women, the, what we call them whistleblowers, those courageous women in, back in the day who were the midwives and said, we will not be a part of that twisted evil plan. 
And then Moses was placed in a river, technically thrown in the river, but gently in a little basket, praying that someone would find him and bring them into their life. And guess what? God put Moses into the Pharaoh's household, and Moses was adopted by the Pharaoh's daughter so that Moses could someday speak Egyptian, so that Moses could someday be be a communicator, a liaison between the Egyptians and the Hebrews. You know, today, I love the band. Wasn't that band beautiful? And that simple sound that was so incredible was, um, was only possible because something happened that we didn't plan to happen. On Thursday, the whole band practiced, and then the drummer called in sick this morning. And, and you know what? Sometimes the things that you plan, when, when they go out of whack, you have to ask yourself, can God take the thing that... Make, God didn't intend for the sickness, but God can take that sickness and turn it into something that's way beyond your... that you can even comprehend, something better than you ever imagined in the first place. And so that's what... That's what what's happening in the nation of Israel. And I think that sometimes we look at what happened there with the firstborn of every household dying. And can't you imagine the, the response of the Egyptian people saying, God, you don't know what it's like to lose your son. You don't know what it's like to have the one you love so much die. And God, Yahweh saying, oh, I do. I really, really do. And Jesus, when he was doing ministry, he would always say after someone was healed, like he would make them walk again and he would say, your faith has made you well, right? Or because of your faith, you are healed. I remember that story of the woman who was walking up to Jesus. He's in a big crowd of people and she she had a disease that made her hemorrhage. She was bleeding all the time. And so she couldn't be around people, but she was sneaking in there anyway in the crowd And she sneaks up to Jesus and she touches his cloak. Listen to the scripture that it says. It's beautiful. It says in Mark 5.32, Jesus looked all around to see who had touched his cloak. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him. See, she had recognized that she was healed immediately and who Jesus was, that Jesus was the power of the universe, that Jesus was the real God, the one she could trust, the one that would heal her. And she encountered how powerful he was, and she started to tremble. And this is what it says. It says, and she told him the whole truth. Now, a lot of pastors and theologians don't just think that it was the whole truth that, yeah, I was the one who snuck up and touched your cloak. No, what she was telling is the whole truth of her life. She was finally admitting that she was not a superhero. She was not a divine being. She didn't have it all together. She was not better than anybody. In fact, she was a broken human being. And that, when Jesus encounters her and she says the whole truth, it says, Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. If we look at what God is doing in the nation of Israel and the nation of Egypt and God is doing in the history of the world is that God is making us well by faith. You know, Pharaoh believed in God. You know that. Pharaoh definitely believed in God. But did Pharaoh trust God? No, Pharaoh didn't trust God. He didn't put his faith in God. Now, I have this little stool here. And um, I can actually look at that stool. If I'd never sat on it before, you bring it up front and you say, I believe that I could stand on that stool and it won't fall down. That is called belief. If you walk down the street, you'll talk to a million people. And I'd say probably only five of those people would tell you they don't believe in God. 
But I think the bigger question that you could ask people is, do you trust God? Do you put your trust, do you have faith in Jesus? And in a second, we're going to bring some people up here who are going to be joining the church, and they are going to be demonstrating their trust in Jesus by professing that faith. I'm, I'm excited. Can you guys all just move forward on your seat a little bit? Because I want you to sit on the edge of your seat. You got you? No, you don't have to do that. <clears throat> There's a difference between believing that Jesus can be the foundation for your life, and then let's see if I don't fall, and trusting. That's trust. Trust is actually saying, you know what, I, I don't just believe that Jesus is the rock. I'm going to live my life out in that way. Amen? Let's pray before these amazing people come up here. Lord Jesus, we are so excited that these people are coming up to be baptized. Um, they are just, the, they are your image bearers. They are created in your image and they're so beautiful and we pray that they would recognize the significance of this moment as, as this is the ceremony, the celebration of what you've done in their life to, to bring life where otherwise there would only be death. And we praise you, God. And we pray that if there's anyone in this room who is in that place um, where they have been placing their trust in the wrong things, and they've, they have broken, broken relationships and broken trust with their colleagues or their spouse, um, family members or government or whatever else it is, Lord, may we, may we truly step out in faith, God, and, and redirect that trust uh, to you only so that we can find ourselves on a secure footing and, and that we can become like Moses was, a, a revered and regarded a voice in the community, one that is trustworthy. We thank you that you, you turn evil on its head. You place the mirror right in front of them and all the evil designs of evil end up backfiring on evil and end up um, coming back at them tenfold. And so God, we do pray for our enemies. We pray for all of the people that bear your image in this world that they would become like these courageous men and women who will stand here now, uh, become your children adopted into your family and bearing your image and proclaiming your goodness. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.